joining us now, a guy that was very fortunate to have a front row seat uh, to all of it. Again, the PA announcer for the Bulls in the 90s, Ray Clay. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Ray Clay... Ray Clay joins us now on the Justin Kinner Show. Ray, welcome in, sir. How are you? Justin, hi. How are you? Good to talk to you. Absolutely. It's been a while, and I'm glad that we can catch up. And I thought with the, the documentary coming out this weekend, no better time than any. With that coming out, uh, I mean, do you just, what goes through your mind with that documentary coming out this weekend? What are you most excited about uh, in, in viewing in that? Well, it brings back a lot of memories. Uh, you know, knowing that that was the the last dance, as, as everybody's calling it. You know, it was hard. You know, the people who worked there every day or every game, you know, we didn't consider that to be the last dance because, you know, we knew that the Bulls were going to keep going on. But, you know, in terms of, you know, watching the the Pippins and the Jordans and the Rodmans and the Phil Jacksons and everything, you know, that was kind of bittersweet. No, I mean, and the whole thing, I mean, that's what I'm most excited about seeing is just the behind-the-scenes stuff. And obviously you were right there front and center, uh, obviously for all home games and everything, and just right there involved. But with that being said, before we get into that part of it, your story of how you got in to being the Bulls' uh, public address announcer was really interesting. I mean, it was kind of something that, you know, based on our conversations in the past, it not fell in your lap, but, uh, I mean, it moved pretty quickly once you got the uh, the wheels turning on it. Oh, yeah, it sure did, uh you know, for uh, Tommy Edwards leaving at that point and being at the end of the 90 season, you know, to going in and being thrown into the playoffs for that season before they won their first championship, uh, it was kind of a, a pretty quick trip. Now, with that, I mean, how did that go down? I mean, how did you find out about the job even being opened? And when did you, even, when did you realize that you were, had become a serious candidate to get the job? Uh, just... Uh, driving in the car one night, you know, being a Bulls fan, my wife and I were heading to a wedding and uh, listening to the Bulls game. I you know, turned it on on the way, and uh, you know, the starting lineup. And before that happened, they said, "Well, this is Tommy Edwards' last game as he leaves us and heads to Boston, Massachusetts." And my wife turns and looks at me. She goes, "Boy, that would be a great job for you." <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah, it would be, but uh, I'm sure that." You know, they've got somebody in mind who's going to take over for Tommy. And she says, well, you should probably give them a call. So uh, <laughs> the following Monday, I made a phone call, and I asked what they were doing. And they asked me to send in uh, a, a cassette with some work that I had done. And it was, just grew from there. So how did you come up with your style for the Chicago Bulls intro? Because everybody knows it with the from North Carolina. Like, how did you come up with that? Well, I, the the first game that I did as would, was my interview uh, prior to that championship season. Uh, we were in the old Chicago Stadium at that point, which was you know the loudest arena in the NBA. And uh, going through my pregame ritual, you know, before I started, they said, "Well, you know, uh, you're going to announce the starters. The music will help cue you when you start." And, uh, you know, the lights are going to go out, and I had everything written down on a sheet of paper, and I'm going, oh, the lights are going to go out. Huh? <laughs> and, and he said, well, there's, there's a little bit of a glow off of the scoreboard, and I'm, I'm sure you can get enough to read what you're doing. So, you know, it got to the point, and, and they cue me, and all of a sudden, all I heard was this swell of noise, you know, as the Bulls intro music started. And I said, God, nobody's going to be able to hear me. <laughs> so I just, you know... 
belted it out as loud as I could to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. Nice. And and it it basically evolved from there, you know, looking at the the notoriety that the team was getting and NBC all of a sudden started to focus on me with the starting lineups prior to the games when they never did that before and you know, it was just you jazz it up as much as you can. When did you realize that you were a part of, of such, I mean, obviously in the team that's winning at a high level, winning championships, you know that that's a special thing, but the Bulls, there's still yet to be a team that has even reached that type of, of star power. And we talk about the two separate three-peats. But at what point when you were doing that job, did you realize, like, man, I, I can't believe that I'm a part of this. Did that ever sink in at any point? Or is that something that kind of sunk in later when it was all done? It, it sort of sunk in later after everything was done. You know, again, while I was doing it, you know, you'd get phone calls from everywhere wanting you to uh, announce something, wanting you to do a commercial, wanting you to be on a television show or something like that. But, you know, it was just part of the my my regular life at that point, you know, trying to juggle everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's over with, and you look back and you go, God, those were really great years. Now, you did like a, what, did he do a late night talk show? I mean, you, you were getting all these opportunities stemming from that. Yeah, I did a late night with David Letterman. Um, I <laughs> and now all these years, here you are with Justin Kinner. I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that's unique. And I, when I spoke with you last, too, one thing that was most interesting was, uh, I mean, obviously there's you, the relationship you have with the team and the players. I mean, just how close did you get with some of the players? And what, did you have a relationship with Michael Jordan? What was that like for you, uh, you know, trying to be a professional but also fanboying out at times, I'm sure? Yeah, you know, I I sort of tried to give the players their space, uh, you know, especially Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to talk to him, to be near him, and you know, I basically would give him a wave in the hallway, and he'd wave at me. You know? <laughs> um, but you know, some of the other players, uh, I had mentioned that you know opportunities came up, and I had an opportunity from one of the sports cards companies that did autographed uh, basketball cards. And they contacted me because I was in Chicago to go to Bulls players' houses or at a hotel to meet them to have them sign the sports cards. So, you know, I got a chance, you know, to, to sit with for three hours with Luke Longley or Steve Kerr or Judd Bushler. Or so, you know, so I, I got to, you know, talk about their families and they asked about my family. So, you know, it was it was really nice. And then when you'd see them later, they, you know, they had some recognition of you. Nice. And you also did some PA announcement for the Chicago Sky, the WNBA franchise as well, right? I did, yeah. I was uh, their announcer up through uh, prior to last year. So I did uh, 12 years for the Sky. Wow. Yeah, and of course, and you know, when you and I spoke last, too, it was on the podcast that I do for the Horizon League, the Reach the Horizon podcast. I mean, all of this basically started, a lot of your PA work started with the, the UIC Flames, and, and you're still doing home games for them, correct? I'm still doing home games for UIC. And I saw that you had a podcast with Coach Yak, and I, I started listening to it, and I got called away, so I didn't get a chance to finish that. Yeah, Coach Yak, which, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how... in you know, for any coach right now that's taken over a program, I mean, all these coaches can't move to their new cities. They, I mean, they're having to do everything through Zoom and, and technology and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, talking with Coach Yaklich last week, yeah, he hasn't had a chance to uh, to even move to the Chicago area yet to get, you know, hands-on. But he has a nice player from uh, Ohio University. He got, a nice, uh, he got another nice transfer, too, and it just, I just spaced. But either way. But, yeah, he's going to do a good well, job there. Yeah. 
So. Yep, I hope so. I hope so. We're looking forward to it. Now, the the next part of this, I'm, this part of the story too fascinated me the, the most. And Ray Clay with us here, the the PA voice of the Chicago Bulls in the '90s. Um, when you when Michael Jordan left Chicago. Um, how much of the flair of the Bulls, and, and even the year that he didn't, you know, the the gap between the three peats and, and and when he left, what was the atmosphere for a Bulls game like with Michael Jordan and without? I mean, how drastic was that gap, or, or was there one? Um, I, I think things tailed off as the years progressed. You know, the year after Michael left, we still had Scotty, and you know, we had a couple other players. Uh, Tony Kukoc was still there. And, you know, it was still exciting because people felt that we were still in the hunt. And then, you know, years as they progressed, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you had players that weren't as recognizable as, you know, the Bulls of the 90s. So it it did drop off a bit. And now you can see what the NBA was like, especially for the Chicago Bulls over the past few years. And, uh, you know, the Bulls had a streak of, I don't know how many sellouts in a row, and that was finally stopped in, I think it was like 2000 or maybe 2001. And, you know, again, I don't, I don't know if there's anything close to a streak going on now. Uh, with that being said, so so MJ leaves. Uh, he comes back out of retirement again, this time with the Wizards. Uh, and of all the teams that you would think that you would hear MJ's name come back with, with it, it, the Wizards, I'm sure that just had to be mind-boggling. Uh, but with that being said, he comes back. Uh, the Wizards, you know, his first game that he ever plays back in Chicago, there has to I mean, not pressure by any means, but a lot of people, you know, it was a special, you know, reunion to see him come back. But they're always, you know, Chicago fans, Bulls fans are always used to hearing his introduction with your voice and all the pomp and circumstance behind it. Was there any plan to give that to him? And I know the answer to that, but what what led to that not happening? I guess. <laughs> well, as as you and I both know, that led to my downfall. <laughs> uh, you know, again, you know, prior to that game, uh, it was in December, and the Wizards were coming in January at at some point, and uh, one of the. Uh, Writers from the Lakers, you know, came up to me before the game. He says, "Hey, you know, Michael's coming back in next month. You know, are you, you going to give him the the Michael Jordan introduction?" And I said, "I don't know. Nobody said anything." I said, "But I would assume we're going to, you know, <laughs> give Michael Jordan everything he deserves." And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the muckety mucks comes around and up to me. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing talking to the press? Uh, you know, you you have no right to tell them what we're going to do. And I said, "Well, you guys didn't tell me what you wanted." To- how you were going to welcome him back. So I assume he says, well, you don't talk to the press anymore. I said, okay. So then the next day I get a phone call from one of the local Chicago writers who is a foreign <laughs> in the bull side. And he goes, so what is all of this? I said, you know, Jay, I can't say anything. I, you know, I can't make a comment. So he starts putting words in my mouth. I go, Jay, I can't comment. And then all of a sudden the next day I get another phone call. What are you doing talking to the press? I'm, I didn't talk to him. <laughs> is that Jay Mariotti? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me, so. <laughs> right? You know, you know. So, so, so all of a sudden, you know, Michael comes back, and everybody's expecting them. You know, from North Carolina, and it's like from North Carolina at six six a guard. So Michael you're the jerk, jerk then. <laughs> so then they just look at you like, what the hell, man? Like, how are you going to disrespect MJ like that? But it wasn't your call. So right, right. And then uh, you know, so then I was done after that year. They asked me to leave. Wow. And and they started with a with a new PA guy the next year. And all of a sudden, you know, the Wizards come back in, and he gets the full Michael Jordan. 
and uh, it, it was Steve Scott who mm-hmm. who is a great guy. Steve's in New York now, and you know, Steve sent me a note. And he goes, "God, Ray, I really felt bad doing that." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Steve, you do what you got to do." <laughs> you know, I want to ask you about Scottie Pippen and that famous dunk he had over Patrick Ewing. Like, was that like one of the loudest? times the arena ever got because that's like in my opinion like the greatest game dunk of all time oh god you know he he flew over and you know he uh he walked right over patrick and patrick pushed him on the legs and, you know it was just a a, a melee started <laughs> now you got to, now Ray, you watched i mean obviously you, you you know everything about that team you were so up close and personal with it with that being said you look at a team like the warriors from the last couple of years when they had Kevin Durant, of course, the, the the generic argument of you know who wins. You know, does that Warriors team beat the Bulls? Do you watch the NBA heavily still today? And if you do, what would you think about that matchup? That Warriors team with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson against the Pip and MJ, uh, and then that Bulls team. Well, first to answer the question, I don't watch as much as I used to. The game has really changed a lot. It's uh, it's not the grinded out kind of game. It's you know. These guys are driving it, and they have a layup, and they're at the hoop, and they pass the ball out to the three. You know, and it's like, put the ball in the hoop. You're getting two points. But, no, you want to go for the three. You know, granted, in, in terms of numbers, that's, you know, that's the way the game's played. But uh, they're, they're two different styles. Uh, you know, if, if the Bulls got that Warriors team to play their style, I know the Bulls would beat them. But if the Bulls were forced to play the Warriors style, I don't think that they could have kept up with him. All right. With that documentary coming out this week, uh, I mean, I, I am curious, too, with you sitting so close to the – what are some things that you would pick up on during games that maybe a fan sitting in, you know, the you know high up or us sitting at home watching a Bulls game? What are some things that you picked up on about MJ's personality, about Phil Jackson's interaction with his team? What are some things that you picked up on that guys like us who were not that close, uh, sitting that close or watching that close would pick up on? Well, you know, Phil Phil had that gruff voice, you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, you'd, you'd hear stuff like that, and, you know, he'd come over and uh, point his finger at, you know, the, the timekeeper or something if he thought that, you know, he let too much time come off the clock or something like that. Um, Michael, basically, he wanted to make sure that he got his points, make sure that he got his assists. And you know the official scorekeeper who sat next to me took care of him and made sure that that happened. So you know you, you keep Michael happy and he doesn't give you any grief. See, players do that today and they're labeled selfish and they're labeled me guys. MJ doesn't. Everyone bows down to it. It's unbelievable. Man. <laughs> so how did like how did Phil coach? Like did did play with all those egos on that team? What kind of coach was? I mean, did they? Were they turning to him? For, I mean, how much control, and, and I know that sounds like a weird question. Of course he had control of them. But, like, how much control of a huddle did he have? Were they, you know, like a lot of times you look at a Cavs huddle or a Lakers huddle, more players are paying attention to what LeBron is having to say over on the sideline during a timeout uh, than the actual coach. What was Phil like with that team when you had a Pippen and you had a Jordan and you had a Rodman and those type of characters in a huddle? Well, I, you know, Jordan would call out whoever he needed to call out when they called that timeout, but he would acquiesce to Phil and let Phil, you know, since Phil was on the sideline, mm-hmm. you know, he would acquiesce to him and say, you know, Phil, go ahead. And then you'd have Dennis who'd be, you know, looking up in the crowd and, you know, <laughs> rubbing his head and lifting <laughs> his shirt up and, you know, swearing at something. <laughs> you know, so, if, you know, it was, it was definitely he needed to be a manager. 
take care of all those egos. No, that's definitely the case. More so than any other sport, you're definitely managing. You're an ego manager more than any other sport, that's for sure. Ray, we'll send you out with this. Uh, my favorite story of all the stories that you've had that I've been able to hear to this point has been about your, your the, the final game for Michael Jordan. No, not with the Bulls. The final game of Michael Jordan's NBA career, which coincidentally was... I believe in 2003 today, it was this date in 2003 was his very oh. last game with the Wizards. Um, and with that being said, you were a part of his final game with the Wizards in Philly. How did that work out? I love this story. I got a phone call, uh, you know, a couple days before from Philadelphia, and they said, you know, Ray, uh, it's Michael's last game coming up, and, you know, we understand the circumstances that, that happened uh, when Michael was in Chicago. And he said, you know, we'd love to see if you're able to come out to Philly and uh, give Michael his uh, farewell. And I said, oh, that would be great. So they flew me out that afternoon and uh, got me to the the stadium. And uh, I met with their PA guy, and we talked about how we were going to do it. And he started out, he introduced uh, the first four Wizards players, and then all of a sudden the lights went out and the music started, and you know, Michael's looking around, you know, what's going on? All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, I, I hit the, yeah, no, from North Carolina. That's so cool. <laughs> and and he's, he's, he's like looking around and, so, you know, what, where'd this voice come from? And a couple players on, on the Wizards point to me because they had a spotlight on me uh, out on the court. And he runs over and he says, God, that was really great. Thanks, Ray. And he gives me a big hug and shook hands and, no Never shoes? He didn't give you any shoes? That's pregame. No, no. <laughs> it's got to be the shoes. Absolutely. I'm so glad, though, because, again, keep this in mind. I'm so glad they only had you introduce him because you went from introducing guys like Pippen and Rodman and MJ. If they would have had you do the whole lineup for the Wizards and they actually had to make you sit through Popeye Jones and, hey. oh, my goodness, I'm so glad they just <laughs> let you do Michael Jordan, man. <laughs> All right. Well, Ray Clay, Ray, thanks so much. Uh, we're really excited for this documentary coming out this weekend, uh, and I'm glad we had a chance to catch up and bring you on the show. Same here. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. All that's right. Ray Clay. You guys take care. You too. Thank you again.